Hi, and welcome to our latest episode of our Scholarly Publishing Early Career Podcast. Thanks so much for joining and a special thank you to the Society for Scholarly Publishing for enabling us to be here. I'm Sarah Grimmer from Digital Science at Home in London, and I'm joined by Meredith Adenolfi from Cell Press, who is calling in from Boston. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Sarah. So today's episode will continue on with our theme of understanding the essentials in scholarly communications. We'll be joined by Andy Douglas, Vice President of Commercial Partnerships and Strategic Business Development, to talk about all things related to sales and the sales process and why this is so important for everyone in the publishing industry to understand. So welcome, Andy. I'm really looking forward to digging into what it is that you do. So I actually worked with Andy many years ago before the Springer Nature merger when Andy was running classified advertising or as it was called then, display advertising. Since then, Andy has gone on to hold a number of different roles within sales at both Walters Kluwer and Springer Nature. Andy, it's fantastic to have you here today. And are you able to tell me a little bit about yourself and your career to date to get us started? Of course, thanks. And thanks for having me as well. I've been in the industry for nearly 22 years now. My background is a marketing degree and I've worked in marketing previously. At that point, you thought you moved to London and the streets were paved with gold and there's lots of opportunity. I was really lucky to land a role at Nature, what was then Nature Publishing Group. I stayed there for 14 years. I started off as an advertising sales executive and sort of led my way up through a number of different global management positions, mainly in the commercial and sales side of that business. And the, the business thing merged, became Macmillan Science and Education. Um, and I kind of reached a bit of a block or a pinnacle uh, at that point, and I wasn't able to do much else. I took the opportunity to move to Walters Kluwer, four years that I spent there as the vice president for EMIR. That's the European, Middle East and African regions. And I headed up their licensing group for Ovid, which was great. A lot of the titles that they own are the nursing titles there, but they also act as an aggregator for a lot of other publishers and lots of other products that we sold through the, the Ovid sales group as well. I had a really good four years there, and then I was sort of tempted back to what is now Springer Nature. I left before the merger, and it's a very different company coming back, and I've been here for four years. And the current role that I've got, which is really split into two main parts. It's just had a bit of a title change. Um, there's a commercial partnerships part of what I look after, which is leading a, a sales group of around 110 people. We develop relationships for our marketing solutions and research solutions businesses. And then the second part of what I do is the strategic business development, which is really around advising and working with our product teams and marketing and sales groups to develop go-to-market plans for our solutions uh, division, which is a, it's a business we've been growing and uh, but one we've put particular attention to in, in recent times with bringing on board Harsh, who's our new uh, chief uh, solutions officer. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Andy, for that. Uh, that's really, really useful context. So we have Andy here today, of course, to talk about sales and to really, based on Andy's experience over the years, to give us the lowdown on what happens in sales. So our first question, of course, is what do people in sales do? And what are all of the different roles or products that you can sell in scholarly publishing? There's, there's a lot that we do and there's a lot of different roles. Um, and I think that's quite exciting from a careers perspective. But generally, sales are the, the primary sort of conduit between organizations and their customers. And that can be at a range of different levels. There's a lot of high-level sales that we do, you know, very senior people within organizations. Some sales are very transactional or one-offs. But also there's part of sales that could be looking after B2C, so the business to consumer parts of things like e-commerce. And that really depends on the real roles and responsibilities within different organizations, different sales groups. 
but the responsibilities differ quite a lot. We're always involved in developing and nurturing relationships. I think that's the core of what I always talk about our teams about. So that's not just nurturing the relationships with customers uh, to start off with, but hopefully becoming an extension of their organization by making sure we're partnering with them to for them to succeed and meeting the needs that they have as well. From a product perspective, the types of areas that we talk about, particularly within scholarly publishing for sales, the main sales groups tend to be what the licensing teams. So they're the people that are working with customers to provide access to things like journals, books, and databases. And that's where most of revenue comes from for most of the publishers that are obviously working within this space. But there's lots of other different sales functions as well. So the, the area that I currently look after is the, not the licensing group. I've worked in the licensing uh, teams in the past, but uh, my teams are looking after the majority of the business, which isn't that core area. So they're things like marketing solutions, which we determine as advertising, sponsorship, custom media events and conferences, and also solutions, which I think there's a lot of other people getting into this space as well, which is around how do we support services for institutions and in our space we've got things like editing services for researchers training services for researchers but also things like consulting or analytics and data analytics skills but also as an extension you could see that other sales roles might include things like third-party licensing and that might be business to business or within the industry and the ecosystem working so that's Again, people utilizing data within uh, or information within different publishers and then building out products off the back of that. I think obviously things like Clarivate and companies like Clarivate and also have products like Web of Science and without access to other people's data and information, they won't be able to produce those types of things as well. So there's, there's licensing roles in there as well. Uh, but essentially, we're relationship managers and uh, solution specialists. We know our business or our products are best. I think there's a really good book by Daniel Pink. He talks about to sell is human is a title. And sales is often seen as just an overly commercial area of, of the business, but um, particularly within scholarly publishing, what we're effectively saying is they're negotiating with partners. But that happens on a daily basis with everybody. So sales isn't a dirty word. It's, you know, people are often negotiating with families about, getting time and all the things that might happen at home or with your flatmates. But equally, we're often negotiating within the workplace and ensuring that projects are prioritised or other aspects as well. So people are doing sales on an ongoing basis, but within this context, it's very much about relationship managing with customers and making sure their needs are met the best way possible. And that's a great way of having both successful relationships and the long-term ones as well. So it's really clear from that that there is tremendous variety in the different roles within sales, which I suspect will be enlightening to many listeners. And just building on from that, why is this job important for our industry? I think all jobs within the industry are, are important because it's, we're one part of an ecosystem, and that's really important to be aware of, particularly because a lot of the work we do internally, for example, we partner with internal partners with our publishing and editorial teams. But because we're obviously forward-facing or the most customer-facing parts of uh, the organization typically, we're the ones that are often getting lots of market feedback. And that helps in terms of product development. It helps in terms of best meeting the needs of our clients um, and also in pivoting or changing things that we might need to develop um, internally to make sure we've got a better proposition that meets market needs. So there's both an external and an internal face of what the sales groups do. I think the importance there is because 
always say the salespeople, the higher you get up within a hierarchy, the further you get away from day-to-day conversations. Those anecdotal pieces of information you get back because of the sales team are having are really important because the test the market is giving an indicator as to what's going on out there and helps organizations pivot and change and make sure we're meeting customer needs over a long period of time. So I think it's important for customers because it gives us some information about work that we might be doing that's coming up. But equally, I always say salespeople tend to over-talk or people think they over-talk. Uh, but one of the things we always say to our sales groups are you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason and listening is a really important skill and therefore absorbing information. Absolutely. Thank you. Andy, I love what you said about your role being relationship manager, solution manager. I want to dig into that for a moment. Can you talk a little bit more about your interactions with the customer and also based on those interactions, how that allows you to translate the needs of the customer back to the publisher? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So the questioning is really important. And again, you talk about, we tend to talk with our sales groups about open and closed questions. And open questions allow you to get lots of information about what's going on. That's where the listening part of our our role comes in uh, really importantly. Example of an open question is just asking customers and working with them as a partner about what their strategies might be, what's important to them in terms of prioritization either this year or the forthcoming next three years or so, something like that. That allows you to gather lots of good information and also act as a partner because if you're not asking those types of questions or, or getting that kind of information back from customers, as product experts, which is typically what salespeople should be, they know their products better than anybody else. They're not in a great position to put matches in place, or if in some cases, you know, there might not be a match. So if a strategy that an organization has doesn't match any of the products we might have, that's not a bad thing, but at least you've identified that early on. I think that those open questions and allowing customers to provide some feedback to you about what's important to them, it's about then after that matching our solutions, whatever those might be, and, and and really helping those organizations with the work that they're trying to do. If you can be an extension of an organization and help them be successful, that's often a great way of just maintaining really strong and long-term relationships with people as well. Great point about open questions. And also, I really like that phrasing of extension of the organization. I feel like that's a really important nuance. So continuing on this theme of relationships, can you talk a little bit about your role in facilitating a relationship between librarians and publishers or companies and publishers or really any other entity or end user and the publisher? I think we play a really important part in terms of managing their interactions with customers and and, and the feedback into publishers. We're obviously part of publishing groups, so we're on the publisher side in that sense. But I think that role is more important now than it ever has been, particularly because, as I said earlier in one of the other questions, we're talking about sales being sort of the ears or the eyes and ears of, of businesses because they're the closest in interacting with customers and markets. That relationship with libraries in particular over the last few years has changed fairly dramatically in terms of where it had been previously because we're helping and trying to facilitate um, change that's going on within the industry you know, so that everybody uh, sort of benefits from that. And I'm talking about largely there the the move towards open access, but obviously in position where there's still lots of subscription business that's being done also. So I think the role we play as sales is in listening to what you know, librarians want, what they need or consortiums want and need, and then trying to best manage that internally so that everybody has a positive outcome to those kinds of discussions. They're getting ahead of those 
questions and, and that feedback early is really important on both sides so that you can manage expectations and there's always going to be some form of compromise but hopefully everybody wins from those kinds of discussions so sales plays an important role because it, although it sits on the publisher's side they obviously want to get deals done they want to make sure that customers are happy so there's often internal discussions that we will be having with on the publisher side that we're obviously fighting or sometimes fighting the corner for customers because we're sometimes their voice internally as well so it's a really important role in trying to distinguish the priorities for everybody and making sure that everybody comes out of those kind of conversations really well and gets what they need from that that's from the library perspective on the corporate side and the kind of business we're dealing with lots of different types of stakeholders and on the sort of marketing solution side so things like sponsorship or advertising it's about again playing that part of trying to understand what people's requirements and needs are so we can best fulfill them and put a solution together that's going to really fit the bill and and hopefully making those people look good within their organization and getting the results that they want Uh, we've got un sustainable development goals which is a big thing for publishers that we're at the forefront of publishing research around lots of those topics in lots of different areas but equally there's lots of research being done at institutions there's lots of work being done at corporate organizations and often some of those again where there's mutual benefit in partnering with a corporate organization for example in trying to promote some of the work that's being done there in terms of the research they may be doing or some of the initiatives they may have then we play a part in trying to facilitate partnerships there that can help showcase that as well as the work that publishers are doing as well it's an interesting position because you sometimes you're playing devil's advocate in terms of taking customers side so you can get things and their thoughts promoted internally but obviously we're always always acting on the side of the publisher as well to to make sure that the publishers get what they need from those kinds of relationships as well so it's it's an interesting role because you're employed and working for publishers but uh, you're there to try and make everybody feel and look good off, off the back of contracts that are signed and projects that are put together yeah you brought out a really important point there about being a voice and an advocate for the customer, which is something people may not often think about in relation to sales roles. So I appreciate that that came out. Andy, you alluded a little bit to this in your answer about open access kind of emerging um, as opposed to subscription models. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about how emerging business models and new things in the industry, such as open access, have changed your job. Yeah, that's a great question because it's changed, I think, at the meta level. It's not changed dramatically. We're still helping meet the needs of customers, and that's what we're generally working towards. But at the micro level, it's changed quite a lot because people have had to develop lots of different knowledge and skill sets on topics that are still new to lots of people, and they've needed to be developed on the fly. So we're learning at the same time as, as our partners and customers are learning about these things and how best can we make that work. I think particularly now more than ever, there's great awareness about the understanding of those different business models. Some are still finding their feet, but there's lots of great sort of contracts or deals that have been done where you can see that there is benefit for everybody working together and trying to meet everybody's needs in these cases. But it has changed what we do quite dramatically because, as said, lots of skill sets have had to be developed on the fly, but it's given rise to lots of other opportunities as well. So a lot of the things, again, that we'll be working on won't be just around the traditional publishing side of the businesses, but also developing services that can help institutions, researchers and organizations do their jobs better. And by that, I'm talking about how can we make sure that people 
publishing the journal of choice that they wish to do so? Um, how can we better support researchers in making sure they've got career development? That's just one aspect of that. But again, the kind of things we do or have been doing have been about working with people on editorial, how to better edit papers. So there's a greater likelihood of success in the submission to the journals they wish to submit to, do training courses and lots of other things. But I think what publishers are seeing is there's opportunity beyond the, what the normal core business would have been like 20 years ago. But equally, there's lots of other smaller organizations that are doing similar things. And that's exciting from a sales perspective, lots of different product, lots of th- different things to learn about. And also you can see that some of those things might come into play when you're talking about transformative agreements or some of the sort of larger deals that are also being had that aren't just focusing just on access to or how people publish content, but also how do we support and communicate as well. So it's one of the, the big things you'll tend to see in, in research grants is also about research impact. And there's lots of things and there's organizations out there that can help with making sure that people are aware and showcasing the impact that research is having, which is really important for publishers, really important for researchers and uh, research organizations as well. And it's a massive shift from where we were in sort of 20 years ago when I first started. It was quite a well, restrictive in the types of business models that were out there, but with the the invent of digital, which any of the early careers people listening to this, they probably didn't realize that the internet's not been around forever, but um, everything was being done by print in the late 90s and early 2000s until everything went digital. I think that was a massive shift and, and now we're seeing a massive shift with open access as well. And there are exciting times to be in this industry. And I think it'll throw up lots of opportunity in the future as well as things develop. Yeah, well said. A lot more to think about and learn about, but also a lot more options to offer. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the flexibility is going to be really key, for example, on the commercial sides of the business. That does throw up lots of opportunity because there's going to be lots of specialist skills that are going to be required that weren't you know, people hadn't even thought about five or 10 years ago. And yeah, it means also from a career path perspective, people can start to forge different career paths than just a very linear one. You can take lots of different routes, uh, particularly if you keep an eye on what's coming up in the future as well. So Andy, you've touched a couple of times on how proud you are of the work that you've done in, for example, being the voice of the customer and making sure both the customer and the publisher win. When you think back of your career so far, what was the most important achievement that you've really had and why? Yes, that's a really difficult question to answer, Sarah, because you look back and you, you can't remember some of the early stuff. So that's probably one thing that memory fades as you age. I think developing staff and developing people is, for me, is probably one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of. I've been very lucky in my career to work with some great mentors and great managers. And certainly in the teams I've always worked in or part of my groups, we really invest a lot in the team and making sure that we develop them over the long run. The industry is quite small, so people are staying within that. There's not lots of places people go to. And if you're in the industry for you know 40 or 50 years, which some of us may be uh, by the time you get to the end of your careers, there's only so many places you can go to and therefore you're going to bump into people. So for me, the, so that aspect of developing people and seeing people succeed is really has always been very important. Often you, you hope that's always going to be the organization you're at and you can help grow uh, there. But equally, as I said, people will move around and if they're staying within the industry, you may well be working with them at some point in the future or people come back. You know, I started at what was Nature Publishing Group and I'm now back at what is Spring of Nature. And there, there's still a lot of colleagues here that were here when I first started sort of 15 or 20 years ago as well. So I think that development of staff is really key. 
um, but also paying back of mental people. And um, because I've, I've been lucky to have good mentors, like it's something I, I really believe in. So I've mentored people both formally and, and informally. And I was part, luckily, last year to become a, an STM mentor for the year. And that was just a really rewarding experience as well. But I think probably beyond that, if there was going to be one more thing, would be just the way that in which people have dealt with the last couple of years, just the fact that business has been good, but we've managed to support people and you know get the teams and, and clients through uh, what has been really, really tough and difficult circumstances for individuals. And I think I'm really sort of proud in which the way in which we've all dealt with that and, and helped the teams that we work with and the, the clients we work with as well. But that's probably something I'm reflecting on yet. You might look back in five years' time and think, actually, that was a, it was incredibly tough. And um, when things are back to normal, there's probably a better time to reflect than it is right now. So it's fascinating that what you talk about as being your, your proudest achievement is that mentorship or that leadership role rather than a specific element of the job. And this is actually something that we've spoken about quite a lot on the podcast, the importance of mentorship, the importance of having advocates in, in a business um, more senior to you. And so one thing I would just call out to anyone listening who isn't quite sure where to go next or needs that bit of advice Take what Andy has just said and talk to the people around you and more senior to you and make sure you're asking for help and asking for that mentorship because it sounds to me like, Andy, people are more than willing to give their time and feel immensely proud of that. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. And that's not always going to be the case, but the majority of the people I've worked with, and and again, we work in an industry where I found it to be very friendly and open and, and people do want to help. Choose someone you really admire, I would say, and someone you think has got skills you want to develop. You know, if you spot someone you think that they're really good at something you want to be good at, they're the kind of people you want to go and learn from. So, you know, the the worst thing that can happen is people say no, um, but generally I don't think I've ever found that. Um, And certainly if somebody came to me and asked me for some help or some advice, I generally would find the time to do that and make sure that it's not just a one-off conversation, but something we keep going. So yeah, I think great advice, Sarah. Thanks so much, Andy. It's really great that you're able to validate that. And it's a really nice segue into our last question, which is what advice would you give to someone who's curious about a career in sales? I'd say follow the advice we just talked about in terms of trying to find a mentor. Go and speak to somebody in sales and find out a bit more about what they do, what it's like, what do they like. Not all jobs are 100% perfect either. So find out what they dislike because there may well be uh, things in there that you don't want to pick up. But I think Beyond that, get them, if you can, try and get them to take you on a sales call as well. So something, you know, if they're going out talking to a customer or in, in you know, the current situation, often there's a lot of people doing video calls still, then try and get in on a video call and just listen in on what they talk about or tagging along to a meeting at a conference that might be coming up if we're all starting to meet face-to-face soon. And if you enjoy that customer interaction, you'll t- I think you'll probably enjoy sales as a career choice. But yeah, go and find somebody and, and try and get that customer interaction if you can do. If you're you know, an expert in a product area or something you currently work on, I, I haven't found customers are generally willing to and um, they're, they're happy for other people to sit in on meetings as long as it's not like 500 people on a call. You know, if you're the extra person on a call and you're not, even if you're not saying anything, that's not a bad thing, but you'll get to learn a lot by, uh, by listening to those interactions with customers. And I think that's a good thing to try. Thanks so much, Andy. This has been absolutely fantastic. And in particular for me, the big highlight has really been listening to you talk about how sales is that voice of the customer. And I really hope that that's what people take away and understand how incredibly valuable that role is across our whole industry. Meredith, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to add? 
Thank you very much, Andy. I agree with Sarah. The customer-focused nature of how you answered these questions was really refreshing, and I think it's going to be interesting for our audience. That's great to hear, and I'm pleased that uh, we've been able to convey some of those messages as well. And thanks so much for having me. And uh, if anyone does want to reach out, we talked about mentorship, then I'm on LinkedIn, and you can you can find me there or elsewhere, and more than happy to connect with people. We want to thank Andy so much for taking the time to be here and to talk to us both about his career and his role and also the critical function that sales plays in scholarly publishing. I think Sarah and I both particularly enjoyed Andy's perspective on the customer-focused nature of sales roles, and that's not something we often talk about in that area of the business. So that was great to hear more from Andy about. We hope you've also enjoyed hearing from Andy as we continue covering the foundational elements of some of the key functions in our industry. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you back here soon for our next episode.